Uh, we left Elijah uh, in your study uh, last week uh, after his fantastic victory on Mount Carmel, defeating all the prophets of Baal and, and allowing God to display his fantastic power to prove that God is the one sovereign, supreme Lord God. And then comes that promised rain. Because remember, Elijah had made the prediction that there would be no rain for a period of time, I think three and a half years. And finally, the rain came as well. And then we see Elijah running ahead of Ahab in his chariot as 1 Kings 18 comes to a close and runs all the way uh, to Jezreel. Now, God doesn't allow Elijah to stay on top of the mountain very long before he comes down into the pits and the valley of despair and disappointment and discouragement. And so today, the lesson theme is serve even when discouraged. And sometimes we do get discouraged in life as, uh, as we walk, even with Christ uh, as our Savior and our Lord. These are times in which we live that can bring about some sense of discouragement. A lot of issues that could bring us a sense of discouragement in our life. But the scripture for today focuses upon Elijah and what's going on uh, in his life as we study together what he has to say to us. So look with me in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 18, right after the conquest on Mount Carmel. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals on a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is not much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu king of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Now another fantastic story from the life of Elijah. So what do we see in this story? I think we, we see the reality of the fact that God is working in Elijah's life in the midst of his despair and, and despondency and discouragement to call him back into service. That's the theme for today is serve even when discouraged. So when we read this scripture, first of all, we see the reality of discouragement. I don't think we have to look very far in our own culture to see the reality of discouragement. In his July 30th column for the New York Times, David Brooks discusses what he calls the psychological unraveling of America. And he says there are terrible trends everywhere. He says major depression rates among youths aged 12 to 17 rose by almost 63 percent between 2013 and 2016. American suicide rates increased by 33% between 1999 and 2019. The percentage of Americans who say they have no close friends has quadrupled since 1990, according to the Survey Center on American Life. And 54% of Americans report sometimes or always feeling that no one knows them well, according to a 2018 survey. There's a lot of despair and despondency in discouragement and disillusionment in our world today. You might be in the midst of some kind of despair and disappointing situation. You might have expected God to do something in your life and he hasn't done it yet or he hasn't done it in the way you wanted him to. You might think you've taken a stand for God and you're the only one in your family, in your church, in your home, where you work, where you go to school, that you are the only one who stands for the power of God. Elijah had a lot of those feelings. He repeated it several times in the story, didn't he? I mean, he was stuck on that. I'm the only one. Hey, everybody, they've torn down your altars, God. I'm the only one. And so he has pity, have himself a great big pity party. Now, there are two words that we can look at today. One is discouragement, which is what one we'll focus on. The other is depression. We want to distinguish between those two. In discouragement, the, the, the core word is courage, which comes from the Latin root core, which means heart. And it's from that idea that we have about you encourage somebody, you give them heart. Or you have courage when you give them your heart. And that leads to then to the English idea of to encourage, meaning to put heart into someone. So to discourage then would be to take the heart out. Elijah has had his heart taken out. He had his heart taken out. He, he doesn't feel like he can go on any longer the way things have gone. 
So he's had the heart, the passion, and the love of his life diminished. And I think that's what's really going on. The other is depression. Some of them argue that this is depression. Uh, depression has been called the common cold of our emotions. So what is the difference between discouragement and depression? What is the vast difference between having a case of the blues and sometimes getting down in the, in the pits of life and suffering from clinical depression? Clinical depression is one of four mood disorders. And it's a, it's a medical disability. Just like a diabetic that has something wrong uh, in, the, in the body's failure to regulate blood sugar, mood disorders result from the brain's failure uh, to regulate chemicals that control moods. Nothing to be embarrassed by, nothing to be ashamed of. It's a physical deficiency that can and should be addressed. And if you suffer from depression, then you're part of 350 million people worldwide and it's also one of the world's leading causes of disability. And at the same time, if you do suffer from disability, from um, depression, you join a group of a lot of good, productive people. In fact, some of the world's greatest leaders and the church's greatest leaders have dealt with depression. Winston Churchill confessed that he was often hounded by the black dog of despair. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince perhaps of all preachers, continually fought bouts of depression as a result of the gout and finally died young at the age of 58. You can add to that list Martin Luther, Soren Kierkegaard, J.B. Phillips, and then Elizabeth Sherrill is one who is an editor at Guidepost and writes a great deal for Guidepost, but she's also one who has dealt with bouts of depression and she calls it a nameless, bottomless sadness. And depression, she says, can throw its gray pall about us when the sun is brightest. So discouragement is usually a milder, more temporary mood swing than true depression. If you are one who suffers from depression, then you need to make sure you get medical advice and you get medicine and you stay on that and stay regulated and get the chemicals regulated. So did Elijah have depression or was he just simply discouraged and down in the dumps in the pits of life and have the case of the blues. I think he was just discouraged. I think he just had a case of the blues. You know, it's very easy to go from the top. You can't stay on the top of the mountain all the time. You know, I, 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 uh, my family has a lot of golfers in it, and, and Cookie is always wondering, didn't he just win last week and he didn't make the cut this week? How could that happen? I said, well, it, it depends. You don't have the same game when you go out every time you play golf. And every course is different, you know, and, and it's hard to stay the, the winner and, and win all the time. I mean, that's the tough thing. If you're ranked number one, you always got a target on your back, right? And so it's tough to stay on the mountain. And, and Elijah didn't get to stay on the mountain very long. But I think what happened was he had a case of discouragement. He had a case of the blues. And, and I think it could be summed up in a passage of Scripture if you look at verse 4. Let me tell you about this. Some of you might remember the days of revivals. How many of you have been a part of a revival? Your church used to have revivals. Had somebody, a pastor, an evangelist, or somebody come in and preach for a week. I've done that so many times in the past. The last 30 years, though, that, that's kind of faded away. But you'd always do this thing about you, you would stay somewhere, and then you go eat a meal, usually a big meal right before you go to church, and you'd preach, and it'd be awful. You know, we just sat right here on you. But there's one preacher couldn't stand what we call the holy bird. You know what holy bird is for Baptist preachers? Fried chicken, that's right. 
fried chicken and more of it. He, for some reason, he didn't like fried chicken. And he, he was doing a week revival. And every night, in every different home, he had had to face a platter of fried chicken. He came to the last night, and guess what he had? Fried chicken. And on top of that, the lady of the house asked him if he would have the blessing, and this is how he prayed. He said, Lord, I've had it hot and I've had it cold. I've had it young and I've had it old. I've had it tender and I've had it tough. But thank you, Lord, I've had enough. <laughs> That's what Elijah says. Verbatim, look at verse 4. Elijah said, I've had enough. He said, Lord, I've been so faithful to you. Look at what we did on Mount Carmel. Now look at what's happening. Jezebel wants my life. I'm the only one left. The Baals are back on the uprise again. I've had enough of this. Maybe you have as well. That's the reality of discouragement. And the next thing we see in the story of the reasons for discouragement. Why, why did we get discouraged anyway? You know, that, that great mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel was fantastic. But you put that in 1 Kings 18 and compare it to 1 Kings 19 and what a comparison. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah is at the height of his success on Mount Carmel. In 1 Kings 19, he's at the depths of despair. In 1 Kings 18, he's on the mountaintop of victory. In 1 Kings 19, he's in the valley of defeat. In 1 Kings 18, he is elated. In 1 Kings 19, he is deflated. What a roller coaster ride of emotions. And we all are capable of suffering the same thing. And Elijah is an example for us in that. Now, Elijah prays a simple prayer in that fantastic experience on Mount Carmel just for the glory of God to be shown and convince everybody that he was indeed the Lord God. And God did. And what a great victory was won. But Elijah is not permitted to stay there on the mountaintop. Immediately when Ahab, the king, tells his wicked wife Jezebel what Elijah has done, she sends a messenger to him to say, you have killed all my prophets. By this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you also. And Elijah, the prophet of God, had just seen the power of God at work in two ways. On Mount Carmel, when God sent down the fire and licked up all the water in those altars and consumed the wood, the sacrificial animal, and the water as well. And then he just allowed Elijah to tuck his robe into his belt and run ahead of Ahab's chariot 25 miles to Jezreel. He couldn't do that on his own power. And when Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to get you tomorrow, he runs in fear. He runs in fear. He goes down to Beersheba at the end of the, the almost at the end of the Sinai Peninsula. Far away as he can get from Jezebel without leaving the continent. And he leaves his servant there. And he does something psychologists call withdrawal. He sits down under a tree. Some places call it a juniper tree, some call it a broom tree. And he says, I've had it, Lord. I've had enough. Take my life for I am no better than my ancestors. Out of sheer physical exhaustion, Elijah fell asleep. He's singing the blues. He's singing the blues. And God speaks to him and directs him when he's physically drained to go down then 
to Mount Horeb. And it could have taken 14 days normally to get there. But instead, after God fed him miraculously there, he wandered 40 days and 40 nights. What does that parallel to? Children of Israel wandered in that same area for 40 years. God had work to do with him. Elijah's singing the blues. And God sends him there for 40 days and 40 nights so God can speak to him. Now, what, what are the reasons for this despair? First of all, there is fear. We've already mentioned that. There's fear. Fear is almost always a factor in despondency and disappointment and discouragement. Elijah is afraid of Jezebel. And she was a powerful and mean and wicked woman. That's to be sure. But Elijah forgot he had God's power on his side. When you get afraid of your enemies, remember that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Remember that. The second thing is Elijah was in the dumps because he thought his life was a failure. I mean, can you imagine that going from the mountaintop of Mount Carmel and thinking that you were a failure? He said, I'm no good. I'm incompetent. God, take my life. Take my life. There have been some wonderful people through history who did some wonderful things, and yet when it came time for their life to end here on earth, they felt like they hadn't contributed anything. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, he might not have been Abraham Lincoln, but he was a good leader. And he wrote in his diary, My life has been spent in vain and idle aspirations and in ceaseless rejected prayers that something would be the result of my existence beneficial to my species. Isn't that interesting? Robert Louis Stevenson wrote words that continue to delight us and enrich our lives. And what did he write as his epitaph? Here lies one who meant well, who tried a little and failed much. They had, they had a distorted view of who they were and what they had accomplished. A sense of failure. Third was fatigue, and we've already mentioned that. Elijah was drained emotionally. That's what happens most of the time. From a great victory, it takes a lot of emotion and physical strength and spiritual strength for the kingdom of God, and you can be drained of that. And that's what happened with Elijah. He was physically, mentally, spiritually drained. He was exhausted. He had just run. Look at what he did. He traveled a lot. It's a shame he wasn't flying and didn't get frequent flyer miles. But he ran about 25 miles ahead of Ahab's chariot to Jezreel. He went from there down to Beersheba, which was about 150 miles, some people think. Then from there, he traveled 14 days, which could have been 14 days, but instead 40 days and 40 nights to go down to the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Horeb. And then if you look at your maps in the back of your Bible, when God recommissions him, he tells him, go to the desert of Damascus. And you look at Damascus, and it's way up north. I don't know how many pairs of sandals he wore out doing all that walking. The man's tired. Fatigue is always a factor in discouragement. It's what athletes call hitting the wall when you run out of strength and energy. And then the fourth thing is a sense of futility. Over and over, Elijah said, I'm the only one. I'm the only one, and now they're out to get me. He feels alone. He feels hopeless. He feels helpless. He's got a negative expectation about the future. He's paranoid. 
He's paranoid. He thinks everybody is out to get him. I read this statement sometime. I thought you might like to hear it. It says, just because you aren't paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. Think about that for a while. Elijah was looking at life through dark colored glasses and he saw no way out. Maybe that's where you are right now today. So let's see how God dealt with him for the resolution then of discouragement. Four actions that God directed for Elijah that will work for us. Number one, he told him, take time off. First thing that helped Elijah was him to take time off and to get physically and emotionally rejuvenated. He needed rest. He needed food. He needed relaxation. A little R&R. And God provided all of those for him. You know, sometimes when you're under the stress of ministry, when you're under the stress of ministering as a layperson for the glory of God and balancing home life and work life and social life and whatever else goes on, sometimes you just run yourself down. And sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do for yourself is to have a good meal and take a nap. That goes a long way towards defeating discouragement. So that was the first step in this process. He needed a little R and R. The second thing is express your emotions. Well, Elijah did. He talked, he talked about it for a lot of times, didn't he? Yeah. What are you doing, Lord? I'm tired. I'm discouraged. Take my life. Take my life. You know, I, 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 I haven't done anything. They're all out to get me. And then when God had him down in the cave, God said, what, what, are you, what are you doing here, Elijah? Have you ever noticed in Scripture that God asks a lot of questions to which he always knows the answer? Of course, he knows the answer to every question because he's omniscient. They're like, Adam, where are you? Abel? To Cain, he said, where's your brother Abel? To Moses, he said, what's that in your hand? To Elijah, he said, what are you doing here? God knew what Elijah was doing. They were having a pity party. So why did God ask that of Elijah? He wanted to give him the opportunity to think and to vent his feelings and to express his emotions. You're angry, you're disappointed, you're hurt, you're down in the dumps. It's okay to express those. It helps you get them out and deal with them. And the third thing is God helped Elijah get his life back in perspective. Now Elijah's saying, I've done all this for you, God, and it's not enough. Jezebel's still after me. I'm the only one left, and they're going to take my life. But what, what, where are you in my life? Why do you think God had him wander 40 days and 40 nights instead of allowing him to make the trip in 14 days down to Mount Horb? He wanted him to have time to think about this process. He wanted him to get life in perspective. When we're discouraged, all of our problems are magnified. They become glorified in our life. And so God reveals himself to Elijah in a new and fresh way, helping him get life in perspective. Elijah's in the cave, and God comes with a, with a cyclone and rips through the mountain, but he doesn't speak to Elijah. Then God sent the earthquake and shook the mountain, but he was not in the earthquake. Then after the earthquake came fire and lightning, but God was not in the fire. And then the scripture tells us came a gentle whisper. Most of us are maybe more familiar with the phrase, a still, small voice. And God spoke to him to help him get his life in perspective. See, Jezebel was thundering, but she was not in control. 
God was quietly doing his work in Elijah. We need to remember that. The forces of evil, when you're down in the dumps, will always look bigger and more powerful than God. And then the fourth thing we see is when God spoke to him in that gentle whisper, he had something to say to him, and that is get back in the flow of life. Get back into the mainstream of life. God allowed Elijah to sit in the dark cave of self-pity for just so long. But there was a new king of Israel to anoint. There was a new prophet to be anointed. Imagine what would have happened if God had listened to Elijah's prayer and taken him out of the world. He would not have had the chance to anoint the king. He would not have had a chance to anoint Elisha as the successor. And he would not have experienced going out in a blaze of glory in the whirlwind of a chariot taking him out. He didn't have to experience death at all. So God gave Elijah a new vision for his ministry. He renewed his call in verse 15. He said, go back. That's always a chance to start over. Then he gave him a new mission. Ordain these leaders. A king, prophet, all of those things. Then he assured Elijah that there would be others who would finish what he started. Jehu will take care of the ones that aren't already dead. Then Hazael will do that. Then then Elisha will do that as well. And then God told him that he was not alone. There were 7,000 other prophets who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And at that point, then Elisha is on his way out of the dumps, out of the pits, out of self-isolation, and back into the flow of life. And for him as a prophet of God, back into the flow of ministry. God can do the same thing in our lives when we have those times of despair and despondency and discouragement in our life. The devil will use discouragement very, very, very well to take the heart right out of us. But it also could be a time when you experience that for God to do something special in your life, to reveal himself to you. We always want him like Elijah expected. To see God come and reveal himself in some kind of magnanimous way. And sometimes he does. But to Elijah, he spoke to him in that gentle whisper of that still, small voice. So it's a time when you go through the the, the disappointments and discouragements of life. To ask God some of these questions maybe. Lord, is there something you want to say to me through this? Lord, is there something you want me to be doing? Lord, is there a new direction for my life that you want me to take? Lord, what do you want me to learn about you and about life through this dark time in my life? Lord, help me to hear your gentle whisper, even through the dark clouds of life. You see, Elijah went from the mountaintop of victory to the depths of despair and self-isolation, self-pity in the cave. But it was God's still small voice, the sound of a whisper that rejuvenated Elijah, brought him back into the flow of life and blessed his life and his ministry. If you are in the depths of despondency and despair and disappointment and disillusionment and discouragement, take heart. God is still God. No matter what might be threatening your heart's emotions, 
Remember that God is still sovereign and he is on his throne. And once again, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And whatever you're going through, God will see you through. And just, maybe not occasionally, but always, you just might learn something new about God and yourself through that experience. May we follow Elijah's example. Father God, we ask you to look down upon us today as we, your people, assemble for worship and claim your name and live as your people. Lord, there might be many out here before us today who are dealing with some sense of discouragement and despondency and despair. And I pray that, that you will speak to them in the way they need to hear you and see you so that they can get back into the flow of life the way you want them to do. And I pray, Father, that you will remind them that you are this great sovereign God and that we will all claim your presence and your power as we go through life. Father, we pray then that there will be decisions made for your glory, for your name, as people confess their faith in Christ as they join us here at Spring Valley and in the means which they choose. Most importantly, Lord, may we see you as the powerful God who sustains us and strengthens us in every experience of life. In your name we pray. Amen.